0: In the summer of 2012, my wife and I went on a uh, trip to northern Sudan, and it was not a vacation. Most people don't vacation there. It's actually a wonderful place, and uh, we we spent most of our time in the city of Khartoum, working with a team of people that are no longer there. They're actually kicked out of the country about six months later, but trying to see uh, movements of disciples of Jesus just multiplied all over the country. And our goal for being there was simply to just to do outreach, just to ask God, hey, lead us to people, people of peace, as Jesus calls in uh, the New Testament, people maybe that's hearts, whose hearts are ready to receive the gospel or to, to think about, uh, to, about following Jesus. And obviously, it's a Muslim nation, so there's just many people there that have never heard the truth about God and the truth about Jesus, the gospel. And so one of the first days that we were there, we were getting lunch. And we were in this little restaurant buying, um, oh gosh, I'm forgetting the name of it, um, shawarma. You read of shawarma? Oh, it's lovely. It's a lovely, delicious meal. And uh, just meat grilled, you know, on this little skewer thing. They rotate it and they carve it off and layer some mayonnaise and cucumbers in there. It's delicious. Okay. I did, I did fast for three days this week, so food's kind of a thing right now. Okay. So I'll move on. And uh, my wife, this guy is just kind of staring at me, just with a smile on his face, and my wife just is elbowing me like, Brian, like, go talk to him. And I'm just, you know, a little afraid, you know, just like white American guy in this giant city of Khartoum, all these Sudanese Muslims. And so I I go over and talk to him, and and he doesn't speak English, but this other guy approaches and says, hey, you know, he, he wants to tell you something, so I'll translate for you, this other Sudanese guy. And so we chat a little bit, and he just, you know, says, you know, kind of, wanted to meet us and kind of find out where we were from. We were from America, we were chatting. And the guy that translates for us at the end of that conversation says, hey, I, I just, I, I hope that you, you find what you're looking for while you're here in this country. Very interesting thing. So later in the week, uh, a guy named John Prickett who works at one of our other churches, he used to be the college pastor here at the harbor, went out for a prayer walk. And we were just, we had two missions. One, let's just ask God, lead us in the city and help us, bring us to somebody that you know, maybe wants to know Jesus. And also we had to get some, uh, some paper and make some copies for some training thing we were going to do. So we had to find some print shop somewhere. We don't speak any of the language. You know, this is a giant city, millions of people in Khartoum. And so we, we go for a little walk. And we say, okay, Lord, we don't know where to go. Just, just lead us. We're just asking these questions. We walk down one street. And again get on the side street. There's like nobody around. It's just kind of like dirt roads. We're a little lost. We're like, okay, well, let's turn right. Let's go this way. Ask God again, we are just totally confused about where we are, like not wanting to get lost. We end up turning again. I'm just trying to say, God, you know, help us navigate this city. We end up kind of back on this main street and walking by and lo and behold, we see this guy that was translating for us the other day, sitting down having coffee with a friend. And we're like, oh, his name is Ahmed. And so we walk over to Ahmed and just start chatting with him. Ask him questions about his life and, you know, just talking about things. And one thing that uh, actually Muslims frequently have is they have a dream of a man in white who appears to them, and uh, Christians believe that that person is Jesus. So I can tell you other stories about that, but we, this is kind of John was just like, we didn't really know where to go to the conversation, but we said, hey, have you ever had a dream of a man in white? And boom, all of a sudden he tells us this crazy dream about this man in white that comes to him and like basically fills him with life, and he puts his fingers in the ground, and all these like flowers and trees and things start blooming up all over the place. It's amazing. And so we start talking to this guy about Jesus. Say, hey, we believe that that's Jesus. And he, he had a little bit of context for it. He had gone to a, a kind of a, an international school at one point in his life, and so long story short, we ended up uh, getting his information, and Matt Newby was on this team as well, and so then the three of us kind of went as the three guys to meet with Ahmed. We had some Met him in a coffee shop, an Ethiopian coffee shop, at the best coffee I've ever had in my life. And just met up with him multiple times during the week. And at the end of that week, um, he said, I want to follow Jesus. And so we, we met with him late one night, and, he, and we just prayed over him, and he prayed to receive Christ in his own words. And we gave him a Bible, an Arabic Bible, and then he's like, well, hey, I want an English Bible too. And so we gave him an English Bible, and um, That was an amazing event. And the next day, we were talking with him, and he he really wanted to get baptized. We had talked to him about baptism. It was the last day of our trip, and we were flying out um, that night. So we had an evening flight, a red-eye flight, to go back to America. And we had a team meeting that night, scheduled at this this really nice restaurant. We were really looking forward to kind of getting closure as a team and debriefing on our trip. And so we had planned to hopefully go out with him um, in the afternoon, but then it fell through. And then we had this team meeting, and we flew out of the country, and we didn't baptize him. And we, we ended up connecting with him on email and stuff. We had his information, and over time, just kind of have lost touch with him. He just stopped responding to our emails. And I have to say, that's one of the biggest regrets that I've had in terms of uh, as a missionary pastor in ministry. Is that we didn't immediately find a place to baptize him. We let things in our schedule... And different things during, especially that last day, prevent us from baptizing this new follower of Jesus. We're in our our last Sunday of just a short two-week series today on baptism. And last week we talked about uh, kind of the what and why of baptism. Just that baptism is this one-time event we do publicly. Someone else does it to us. And it really represents, as Levi mentioned earlier in the service, this, this identification with Jesus that we are saying our old life, our old way of living is past. That's, we're dead to that old way of life, and we're being raised up to a new life with Jesus. Water, through centuries, millennia, has, has represented cleansing, right? We use it to wash, and so baptism, secondly, represents a washing, a forgiveness of our sin. And thirdly, we talk about how we're also immersed in the water. You get completely wet, and that is a symbol of how we, when we receive Jesus into our hearts, When we put our trust in God and Jesus to save us, we are immersed in his Holy Spirit. Just as someone is immersed in that water, we believe that God comes and resides in them and walks with them forever. He puts his Spirit, who is everywhere, but puts it in us. That's what baptism is about. This Sunday I want to talk about what are some of the things that would stand in the way that would prevent us or someone from making the decision to get baptized. And if you've already been baptized, as I mentioned last week, there's two things that I want to challenge you on today. One is, hey, this is a great opportunity for you to relive, in a sense, the gospel. To remember, hey, I was baptized and that is exactly why I did it. And to reimagine the symbolism of that together. And secondly, as we mentioned last Sunday, you don't have to be a pastor to baptize people. So you can be thinking about who are the people in your life that God is calling you to one day see baptized, that you would disciple, teach to obey Jesus, and baptize, right? And I just want to mention again, I'm indebted to James Emery White for this sermon series, inspiration for this, and also for uh, some of the content and illustrations that you'll hear today. So just don't want to plagiarize, just want to give him lots of credit. It's an awesome pastor in North Carolina and former president of Gordon-Conwell. the passage we're looking at today, I want to give you a little bit of background, just because we're, we're right in the middle of a narrative in this passage, so just so you have a little lead up of what's, what's happened before this. We're looking at the book of Acts, which if you don't know the Bible very well, it, it's what happens right after the story of Jesus in the four gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the one book that tells us what happened to Jesus' followers after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. And in the middle of this book, there's a chapter where uh, this guy named Saul starts persecuting the church. He kills this guy named Stephen, or at least he, he leads these other guys to do it. They stone him, and he's guarding their coats, so no one steals their coats, I guess. It's kind of funny. Culturally, it was a thing, because people kept money in their coats. Sorry, tangent. Um, <clears throat> but Saul starts persecuting the church. The church is scattered all over the place. One of Jesus' disciples, Philip, goes to this northern uh, region called Samaria, and as this crazy move of God happens, it says all this wild stuff is happening. Uh, people are getting healed. Lame people are getting walk walking. Demons are getting cast out of people. It's like the Exorcist, but really short and happy. He's just like, "Demon, get out!" and it leaves, and then everyone's happy. It's like not a bad ending or anything. Okay, so it's kind of like that kind of a picture. But right? He's got this amazing ministry, and it says. Lots of people get baptized, okay? So that's where Philip is. He's preaching the gospel. All these signs and wonders are happening. And even the apostles come up from Jerusalem, lay hands on people. They they get immersed in the Holy Spirit, okay? They receive the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of where we're picking up the passage. So Philip's in Samaria. He went there because he was was, uh, fleeing persecution at the hands of this guy named Saul. So Acts 8, verse 26 is where we're going to pick up you got a Bible, you can turn there, Acts chapter 8. We're going to start kind of middle of the page or middle of that, that chapter, verse 26. All right, it says this. Philip's in Samaria. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Thank you. That is helpful because we do not live there. Okay? No laughs. I'll keep going. Thank you. He rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. This guy's a big deal. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in this chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. All right, you've got two minutes. I want to ask you two questions. One, very simple question is often a great one to ask if you're trying to figure out what's the point of this passage. What does this passage tell you about God? And two, second question, what do Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, what do they have in common? What does this passage tell you about God? What do you see that's that's similar in terms of what these guys do, Philip and the Ethiopian? Okay, ready, to go. Two minutes. Talk about it with someone next to you. What does this tell you about God? What's similar about Philip and the Ethiopian? Okay, you got one more minute. 30 seconds. All right, throw it out there. What do you notice about God in this passage? God has a teleporter, amen, (laughs) hallelujah, I'm going to ask him for one of those, save a lot of money on flights, he he spoke through the spirit to Philip, It's good, Colin, come on, you're just giving away the answers. So second question, both Philip, he said both Philip and the Ethiopian acted immediately. That's good. So so both Philip and the Ethiopian were baptized. Now let's go back to the first question. Anything else you notice about God besides the, the teleporter machine? God orchestrated the whole thing? He wants to see the message spread. Yes. Even one soul is worth it. Okay, you guys, you guys are Bible scholars here. You got it, okay? You got it all. God's will is for people to follow Jesus and get baptized. Amen? God wants people to come to know him. God goes out of his way to make this happen. I mean, if God can go out of his way. You know what I'm saying? Right? He works through a willing man so that this Ethiopian, this one guy, can have a chance to follow Jesus. God wants everyone to know Jesus and to be baptized so they can follow him. Now, this man was probably black, right, dark-skinned from northern Sudan. There was an ancient kingdom there. This queen, that name Candace is actually not a name. It's a title for the queen of Ethiopia. And so this is an important guy. You're breaking down a racial barrier here, right? God wants blacks from Africa to know Jesus, right? Case in point, right there in the Bible. He loves them too, okay? This was was a big deal for the Jews, just to mention, right? Any Gentile, right? It wasn't quite the same racial tension back then. For Jews, it was Jews and everybody else. But just to point this out, right? This guy was also possibly maimed. It says he's a eunuch, right? Handicapped maybe, Okay, or whatever you want to classify that as, there's another barrier being broken there. A eunuch was not allowed in the temple of God for the Jews. God's breaking down another barrier. With this simple story, God is sending Philip and saying, this guy, I love this guy, right? I love the people that he's going back to. I want him to now make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey, right? God wants everyone to encounter Jesus and to be baptized. This guy mattered. And God often does things, he'll ask us to do things that don't make a lot of sense. Think about the situation here. Philip has just planted a mega church. Okay? He's the pastor of this large move of God in Samaria, right? Demons are just coming out of people. People are going to heal. Everyone's amazed at the signs and wonders that Philip is doing. I mean, this guy's got it made for the rest of his life, okay? he probably a big salary. He can just live off of the old stories of the old days, good old days, and just kind of play it safe the rest of his life. He's got recognition from the church leaders, the church from the entire world at this point, right? The disciples come up. They see all the powerful things that God is doing through Philip. Man, what an awesome guy, and God just speaks to Philip and says, go to this desert place in the middle of the day. Sorry, I didn't read that part, but there's a, there's a, there's a shift. If you look in the footnotes of your Bible, it says go south. Some translations uh, translate that the noon of the day, which is even more crazy because who wants to be traveling in the desert at noon? Nobody's traveling in the desert at noon. That, that's dumb. It's really hot. So God's telling Philip to do all these weird things, and he's not giving him the whole picture. He's not telling him, here's the whole story of exactly what's going to happen if you do this. He just says, go to this desert place down by this road in this remote area. Also could be very dangerous. Remote areas. There's not like police running around all the time back then, or cell phones. You can call for help if someone's robbing you. Okay? This probably didn't make a whole lot of sense to Philip, but he just knew, and we don't know how certain this voice was. Okay, it says an angel. What does it say? Yeah, an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Was it in his mind? Maybe it appeared to him. It doesn't give us all the details. Regardless to say, oftentimes God is calling us to do things that don't make sense. Maybe baptism is that thing for you. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It's kind of a weird thing to just be in front of a bunch of people and they dunk you under the water and hopefully don't hold you down and then they pull you back up, right? I mean, that's a little weird. But this is the symbol that Jesus has given us to mark ourselves out as followers of him. And God is often going to ask us to do things that might seem a little strange, but it's what he's asking us to do. And the other thing I would urge you today is just not to delay. Not to delay. Notice, as, as Colin pointed out, Philip and the Ethiopian have quick obedience, it says, when the angel, after the angel speaks to him, it says, um, he rose and went. And then when the Spirit of God speaks to him, it says, go up and join this chariot. It says, Philip ran to him. He ran up to the chariot in the heat of the day, right at noon. It was hot. It's quick obedience. Right? Ethiopian then has a similar thing that happens. Upon hearing the gospel explained about Jesus, he sees water and goes, Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a second, wait. That's water right there. Philip, is there anything that could prevent me from being baptized right now? Quick obedience. He's saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I, I, I've seen the light, so to speak. I want to get baptized. He obeys quickly. Now the Ethiopian asks a great question. What prevents me from being baptized? And many of us maybe have formulated answers to that question. And so I want to pose some common reasons that that maybe people would think about or give for not wanting to be baptized. Even though they would say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus or I want to follow Jesus. So let me list a couple of these for you. Objection number one. And I'm just, again, I'm, I'm taking these from James Ernie White. I just thought they were brilliant. I couldn't come up with any more. So here's objection number one. You don't want to get wet. Totally understandable. It might feel a little vulnerable to be in front of a crowd this large and get dunked in water. Your clothes are wet. You're standing there. Your hair's all wet. Your makeup's messed up, right? It's a little vulnerable to do that. Maybe, though, that's kind of the point because this is meant to be a family. And when families do things that are vulnerable or a little silly, it's actually endearing, isn't it? Jade's family tells a story of, uh, of Mac. I mentioned Mac a few weeks ago, her grandmother's boyfriend. And when they were first dating, uh, Mac took Gigi, Jade's grandma, uh, out to dinner, her and, her and her parents. And at the end of the dinner, Mac said to Gigi's parents, All right, sorry, Gigi's parents, her, her, her father, Walt, said, uh, Mac, thank you so much for that dinner. And Mac said, well, I hope you appreciated it. Okay, I thought that would get a couple more laughs. Like, that's not, you know, like, what do you mean, like, we just said, yeah, very awkward, okay? But we tell that story all the time. Like, when we go out to dinner, we say, oh, well, hope you appreciated it, right? Okay. The point is, when someone does something that's a little vulnerable or silly, in a family, it is endearing. And so standing up here and getting wet in front of a bunch of people, that's an endearing thing. You're saying, I'm a part of this family. I'm a part of the family of God. Right? Maybe there's something to that, that's why Jesus wanted us to get submerged in the water. All right, moving on. Objection number two. You won't have the right people here. This one in my mind is a tough one because it feels like it's the most legitimate of all these objections. But even here, this could sideline you for years if you let it. If you're thinking, hey, I want to have my parents here or my best friend or, you know, all of these people, then let's line up the Sundays so they could come. Um, my, 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 My thought would just be, don't let this stop you if it does seem to present a barrier. And if you really want those people there, then have one of them baptize you in their pool. A few years ago, my sister-in-law, Marcy, wanted to get baptized. And she wanted the whole family to be there. So we just arranged it. when We were all home on a vacation, visiting in Colorado. Uh, She asked me to baptize her. I baptized her in the hot tub. We got ourselves a hot tub, okay? If the Bible, and I just want to impress this upon you again. If Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, you can't separate the teaching and the making disciples from the baptism. If you're called to make disciples, you're called to baptize people. If you're called to teach others how to obey Jesus, you can baptize them. It doesn't say only if you're the pastor, footnote, you can baptize people. Okay? It's just not in the Bible. So, if that's the case, do it when you're all together. And if none of them are believers and you still want them all there, then just have one of your friends come, figure it out. Don't let that stop you, okay? Objection number three, you want to wait for your spouse or kids or maybe some other significant other in your life. The problem with this is you don't know how long you're going to have to wait. And it's also not really fair to put pressure on other people to do something that you are feeling that you need to do. So as a parent, you don't want to say, well, I'm going to wait for my kids, that's putting pressure on them to do it when you need to obey Jesus. You're taking the plunge because you know this is what Jesus has said. May not make sense. Might be weird. But I'm going to do it because I'm obeying Jesus. And that might be the very thing that they need to see so that later on they'll take the plunge too. All right, objection number four. You're not ready to join the church. That's great. You don't have to. Okay? <laughs> Let's not get baptized and join the harbor. This is get baptized and be a part of the family of God. This is a big church in this area, guys. There's lots of awesome churches you can, be, you can attend. There's other churches that we are partnering with. Why? Because we all love Jesus. We want to see his kingdom come. So my encouragement would, would you to be, this is not a pressure statement to say, I'm with this church for life. It's just, I want to follow Jesus. Here's some believers. Here's some water. Let's get baptized. Philip and the Ethiopian probably never saw each other again. That was it. But hopefully, the Ethiopian went on and formed a family of believers, right, maybe in his immediate family, and who knows where that ended up later on. Okay? In terms of multiplying. So don't let that stop you. Okay? Objection number five. You've been a Christian too long. You know, so maybe you felt a little guilt after us talking about the immediate obedience and gosh, you know, look at the Ethiopian. Got baptized right away. I've been waiting 20 years, you know. Well, a few things I want to say here. One, guilt is not from God. Number one, guilt is not from God. Neither is shame. God doesn't use those things. He's not a manipulator. Conviction is. Conviction is just the sense that I need to do this thing. But it's not, I'm a bad person, or gosh, I'm horrible, right? I've done something terribly wrong. There's a difference there. There's a line, okay? One leads to death. One leads to life. So don't dwell on what you've done, you haven't done. Or feel bad about it, just take the next step of obedience. That's what this life is. This is just, okay, Jesus, what's the next thing you're calling me to do? That's what I'm gonna do it. God is not a God of second chances, He's a, he's a God of 70 times 7 chances. Come on, you got lots of chances to burn here, okay? There's grace. There's just grace for that. You've been a believer a long time, so what? Get baptized next Sunday. Go home right now. Jump in the pool with somebody else. Get them to baptize you. Probably already closed the pool. Okay, that might not work. All right? Just do the next thing God's telling you to do. Okay? It's honoring to God. There's no shame in obeying now. There's only honor for Jesus and for you. All right? Objection number six. You don't have your act together. You know, maybe there's this thinking in you that says, you know, I just... Gosh, how could I be a baptized follower of Jesus? I, you know, my life's still pretty messed up. Well, if that is you, then you're in a way better place than you think. This is actually the perfect time to get baptized. Jesus told this story about two guys that went up to the temple to pray. One of them, it says, was a Pharisee. And he basically stood there and said, God, I thank you that I'm better than everybody else. And the other guy kind of stood back, his head down, he was a tax collector reputation of a cheat and a traitor. And he said, a simple prayer, Lord have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, those two men went home and only one of them went home justified before God and it was the second man. If you're recognizing that your act is not together, amen! Welcome to the family! Great! We're all pretty messed up here. Okay? We all have need of help. Christians are the ones that are saying it's only the righteous Sorry, it's only the unrighteous who actually are the ones that become righteous. Only those that admit their unrighteousness that God makes righteous. We're all in that same place. That's the perfect place to get baptized. Objection number seven. You're not sure you can keep it up. In other words, you're not sure if you can continue to follow Jesus because, hey, it's not easy. And you know that. You don't want to commit to something and then not follow through. Now, I just have to say, if this was your thought at all, I love this. I love this. Because if you're thinking this, then you're really taking this seriously. But here is what I think God wants to say to you. Oh, Lord, thank you. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God didn't spare his own son. So of course he's going to give you everything else that you need to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. That is, guys, what grace really is. Grace is now being filled with the power of the Spirit to obey God. And it's a gift. We never earn that. We never come before God and say, okay, well now that I'm a Christian, now I'm going to earn some things with God. Now I'm going to do some devotional time and I'm going to say some prayers. I'm going to fast and I'm going to love people. And that's going to get me some more stuff from God. Doesn't work that way. It's all a gift. When we put our faith in Jesus, when we cry out and say, I'm messed up. My life's not together. And I don't know if I ever can keep this up, God, following you. God gives us a spirit to give us power to obey. It's grace. It's a gift. What a beautiful picture. How could it be any other way? Right? Last objection, objection number eight. You wonder if you've already been baptized. Or you know that you already have, maybe as a small child. Maybe, maybe something like this happened to you. Okay. Okay, that's enough. You can cut it off there. We don't want to see any more. Okay. Now, I do not. I'm not trying to. Shame any other tradition, okay? Uh, it, was, it was from a Georgian church. You can watch that again on YouTube if you want. <clears throat> the point of that, of showing that video, is not, is not to say that's an awful tradition or, you know, no one should do that. But I think it illustrates um, that happened to someone. That was not their choice. As you, yes, you, you can could, you could see. It was clearly not something that that baby wanted to do, okay? And so I'm not, I'm not trying to knock infant baptism. Uh, At our church, we, we would say we believe in believer's baptism. And that means that when someone makes a confession of faith, that they then decide, I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to go under the water and be raised again. So um, if you were baptized as an infant, getting baptized again is not dishonoring to your family, it's not dishonoring to your tradition. And so, we, we, and we're not, I'm not trying to do that, but what I am saying is, from the Bible, we don't see that happening in the Bible. Um, there's passages, yes, that say that someone's whole household was baptized, and um, <clears throat> it seems in my mind a stretch to include infants in that. We don't know if there were infants in, in those households, and we don't know if those infants were actually baptized. When it says whole, sometimes that's not really meaning every single person in that household. We also see, hey, Jesus was baptized as an adult. So the pattern in Acts is repent and be baptized. And so I would just encourage you, if you were baptized as an infant, maybe God is telling you, you don't need to be baptized again. I am leaving room for that. Because I just want to honor the the greater body of church. There's different interpretations of scripture. I understand, you know, I'm not the be-all, end-all. I'm just trying to explain what we believe. Okay? So these babies that you saw up there were baptized, I bet God's in that room right there honoring what they're doing because they're trying to obey Jesus as best they know. You guys with me on that? All right? They're trying to obey Jesus as best we know. And so we honor the Presbyterians. We honor the Anglicans down the street. Okay? We love them. But I also would just throw out, at to you, you ask God what you need to do. If, if, if that for you was a significant thing and you feel like in that moment there was something powerful that, you know, through your family they raised you maybe you were confirmed later on, then that's awesome. We're not pushing, we're not saying you have to be baptized to be a member of this church. We're not pushing anything. I do believe, and our church believes, that it's believer baptism, you get baptized. So we will baptize you if it's your desire to be baptized again. And we don't dishonor what the Lord has done in other traditions. Okay? That make sense? Okay. So we honor the Georgian church, we honor the Orthodox church, we honor the Catholic church, we honor the Anglicans, and we honor the Presbyterians. They're awesome. And from them flows rivers of life, right? The Holy Spirit just like us. But again, final point, if you do want to be baptized as an adult, if you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on you, then we'll do that, okay? So let's have the band come back up, and uh, we're going to respond today. And let me just tell you, here's the questions that we're going to ask next week as a part of just me explaining the gospel here in these last moments. I hope I can answer it. Go ahead. <coughs> One of the other objections you might come across is the, the social cost to identifying with a body of believers. When we were talking to our friend in, in Khartoum, he brought up the point that if they find out about this, it's my head. You realize that. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a deep cost. It's, it's not as much for us in America— But since we are a sending movement that that is engaged in the world, this may be a cost that we run across as we approach baptism, especially in the the Muslim world. Um, My word to our friend was that I would rather die without my head and be in the body of Christ than to live and not be. Mm -hmm. And that's a decision that's a very hard one that they have to, to come to grips with. But it's one that's worth making. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Matt. And so, you know... That's a great objection because there, there may be a cost for you, right? There may be a cost for you socially or in your family. And so, again, the question for all of us is just, Jesus, what are you saying to me? Right? Jesus, what are you saying to me? All right. Next week, as we're baptizing these people, these are the questions that they'll respond to. Do you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Do you repent of sin and receive the forgiveness of Jesus? And do you give your life to Jesus and resolve to follow him forever? And then I'll say, or whoever's baptizing this person, upon your confession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dead to sin, buried in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. And guys, that's the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus is Lord, that he was raised from the dead, that anyone who would turn to him and repent of their sin, they would receive forgiveness and be able to follow and walk with him forever. That's the gospel. It's an amazing picture. So let's pray. I <clears throat> want you guys to stand up. <clears throat> Lord, we bless you. Hey, if there's anyone here, if you've never said yes to following Jesus, you can do that in this moment right now. It's as simple as what I just said just call to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe that you're there. I need someone to forgive my sin. I put my trust in you. Say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. As simple as that. If you just did that, if you if you, if you're, if you need a moment, in a, in a few moments, if you pray with the Lord and just say, God, I want to follow you. I receive your forgiveness. I want to invite you to share that with somebody else. Or prayer team, I'd invite you to come up right now and share that with some of these guys if you want someone to pray with you. So Lord, we just want to honor you. We want to obey you. I pray you'd speak to us, Lord, and uh, yeah, help us just to just to remember Jesus, what it is that you have done for us as we sing this final song in your name. Amen.